I love the smell of napalm in the morning. Did you first play? I'll bet you could suck a golf ball through a garden hose. Let me worry about that green beret. Napalm in the morning. Your first, last, and only podcast for the Vietnam War through film. Okay, so Matt, I've got a, I've got an incoming, uh, I got an incoming call here. I thought this was a podcast, but apparently this is uh, some live radio. Um, yeah, let's uh, let's open up on line line two here. Um, hello, uh, hello, you're on the air with Napalm. Okay, this is my favorite movie podcast, and I'm kind of obsessed with the subject you're talking about today. I know you're discussing Oliver Stone's film Nixon, and I happened to be writing a new book about Pat Nixon. And I have some issues I want to discuss with you about Oliver's take on Pat. Hey, hey, Matt, do you, do you recognize those dulcet tones on the, on the phone line there? That sounds familiar. Have we, have we spoken before? Uh, <laughs> I've actually done a podcast with you before. This is Heath Lee. So I'm the author of the League of Heath Wives. Lee. And- Oh yes. Oh. How are you, Eric and Matt? <laughs> we are excellent. We are great. Yeah, we have we have a secret uh, celebrity sighting in studio here. Um, Heath Lee and, and, and a stalker, evidently. Yeah, uh, a stalker. Right, right. Uh, yeah. yeah, definitely. <laughs> so uh, this is this is a this is a mini episode within the episode. A little 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 uh, Easter egg for the fans um, on Pat uh, Patricia Nixon. Um, Yes. Which is not her actual name, but we can get into that. Uh, yes. But uh, yeah, this is uh, this is uh, um, Heath. How um, how do you know so much about Pat Nixon? Well, so my last book, The League of Wives, um, I spent a lot of time at the Nixon Library researching about uh, President Nixon and the prisoners of war that he brought back from Vietnam. And so while I was there. I got very interested in writing about Pat Nixon. She reminded me so much of the POW MIA wives I was working with, kind of women caught between the 50s and the 70s. That's kind of my happy place in terms of the history I'm really liking right now in terms of of writing and exploring that era. Because these women are kind of betwixt and between, you know, the housewife of the 50s and the feminist civil rights movement, Vietnam War, you know, pro-ERA women of the 70s. So they're really kind of trapped. And that's, I think there's a lot of exploration to do, particularly about conservative women during that time who have not gotten a lot of airtime. So I got very intrigued by Pat Nixon and also feel that, you know, Watergate, of course, came and swept, uh, Mrs. Nixon and President Nixon out of office. So she never really got a biography that I felt was fair. Um, Her daughter, Julie, wrote a wonderful memoir about Pat Nixon that has been kind of very helpful to me in getting down all the dates and the timeline. But I think there's a lot more between the lines to talk about and things that couldn't have been said when Julie's book was published in 86, it can be explored now. So 
she's kind of a hidden figure, you know, from that era. That's exciting. So, so in a couple of years, we're going to see a, we're going to see a bi- full fledged biography of Pat Nixon. Is that what you're saying? Indeed. 2024. It is, um, it always takes me about four or five years to write my books, but uh, this is also because that will be the 50th anniversary of the Nixon resignation is in August of uh, 1974. So this will be kind of timed uh, sometime that month to um, coincide with that. I think that'll be a good time to look at the whole Nixon administration, all the people in it, maybe with different eyes. That's, uh, that's, uh, well, we look forward to that and uh, um, love, uh, love all the stuff you're, you're up to. Um, a jumping off point maybe for us for so for the listeners who've been um we've been we've been talking about of course the the movie nixon and uh there are some uh uh there's some depictions uh, characterizations of 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 pat nixon that 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 come out in the movie um um matt reminder to listeners what do if if you go away from this movie what do you what do you what do you learn about pat nixon main, from nixon? main takeaway uh for, for me, from uh, Mr. Stone in the movie, is that um, Pat Nixon is um, maybe kind of the reluctant wife of the politician, doesn't really want to be there, would much rather be um, guzzling Franzia and, uh, you know, chain-smoking cools. Um, and that's probably about it, I would say. Yeah. Um, yeah. He doesn't so ever... Where, 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 am I, where am I wrong on this? I, I, where am I wrong? Well, I think you're, you know, you're partially right in terms of, I think she was quite reluctant, um, particularly at this point when she's first lady. I mean, they had had a very, very long political career together. She had been Mm -hmm. second lady twice. She had been a congressman's wife, a senator's wife. I mean, she moved to D.C. in 1946. And when we're here at Watergate, you know, this is that the movie is what 70 kind of covers the last, the second Nixon administration, the last couple of years leading up to Watergate. So they've been in, in Washington for decades and she had been through right. so many campaigns, including the 1960 campaign with JFK, where Nixon lost in a very narrow race. You know, we're talking a lot about voter, you know, ballots missing and voter recounts. I mean, this is is nothing new. This happened in 1960. But Nixon, unlike President Trump, walked away. He thought it would be damaging for the country to, you know, demand a recount or take legal action. And he dropped it, conceded, you know, walked away. But after that election, Pat was so distraught. You can see in the pictures from that event. Apparently, Kennedy even felt sorry for her. She was so upset. And this was one of many defeats that Nixon would suffer before finally in 68 becoming um, president. So, you know, I think that your first part is right, that she was a reluctant political spouse, but she always said, you know, her job was to help Richard Nixon do his job. Much like the POW wives in my book, my previous book, The League of Wives, their job was to help their pilot husbands do their job better at first. Then that changes. And I think Pat has has some metamorphoses too throughout this. Now, the second part, the takeaway about Pat having a drinking problem, I, I think it's patently untrue. I think that has been because uh, Woodward and Bernstein claim this in their book, The Final Days, about the Nixon presidency with basically no 
attribution of any source that is um, able to be documented. I think that's highly questionable. I've also interviewed all the press secretaries, social secretaries who worked for Pat Nixon, like Lucy Winchester, who said, you know, I was with her from seven in the morning till nine at night. She could not have functioned on the level she functioned if she had a drinking problem. I mean, Pat was probably the hardest working first lady ever besides maybe Eleanor Roosevelt. I just don't think it would have been humanly possible to have a major drinking problem and keep up the schedule she did. So I, I think that drinking part is probably a figment of Oliver Stone's imagination fueled by the popular press at the time, who remember was not, did not look very fondly upon President Nixon. So that's my take. As I get into the research, we'll see, but I'm seeing no evidence of a drinking problem. Okay. Well, if you find those uh, liquor store receipts, um, maybe, you know, maybe that will sway you, but. Um... <laughs> Pat did like dry martinis. I mean, but who doesn't, you know? I mean, mm -hmm. I, I think that's totally legit. So she did drink, but I don't think she overdid it. But I'll let you know she, what I find. She also, um, you know, not, not covered in the movie. Of course, she was, she was a first lady who, um, you know, I guess broke out of traditional roles in the sense of being um, – I mean, an activist is too strong of a word, but like a lot of the things we think of, um, of a first lady having causes, having like, I think, is she pioneering a lot of that? It seems like. Oh, yeah, I definitely. And, you know, I wouldn't call her an activist because, you know, she felt because she was the not the elected official that which I think is very legitimate. I mean, she was not elected to be president, so she wasn't the elected person there. Advoc advocate. Yeah, advocate is, is great. I think that's a much better word, advocate versus activist. But she was pro-ERA. She did say this publicly. At, I believe it was at the Republican convention, maybe in 72. She was pro-choice. Um, she also was really, really mad at President Nixon when he did not put a woman on the Supreme Court and I've already got a chapter, and I have to. I'm borrowing this title actually from my friend Jack Farrell, who wrote a, a biography about Nixon, a prize-winning biography. And he wrote an article that the title of it was "Mommy is so goddamn mad," and it was about <laughs> Pat Nixon when she found out that President Nixon was not putting a woman on the Supreme Court, and she just was so mad. And so Nixon calls Julie and it's like, oh my God, mommy is so mad. Then he calls the attorney general and says, Pat is so goddamn mad at me. I don't know what I'm going to do. I mean, he feared her wrath after that because she had pushed hard and publicly said she was working on President Nixon for that. So that's all kind of at odds, I think, with what we think about Pat Nixon, that she was, you know, very far right. She really wasn't. I mean, I think she was you know, she always said people were her project. I think that was much more her focus than being a Democrat or a Republican. Um, but of course, she supported her husband's administration. Mm -hmm. Tell us a bit about where she where she came from. She was pretty solidly middle class, right? Oh, gosh, no, she was actually quite poor. Um, yeah, it, this is something else people don't know. Pat is also has this aristocratic. Hey, I just assumed like she went to college in like the 1920s. Like, of course, she must have been. This amazing. Right. You would assume yeah. anybody would assume she was kind of solid middle class. 
the only reason she did that, she put herself through college by working herself like to, not to death, but to the bone. Um, She was an orphan really by the age of 19. Her mother died when she was 13. Dad, when she was 19, she had two brothers. She put through school. She went to USC. I just assumed she had one of her, her celebrity parents had paid to get her in there. Oh, Oh no! There was, was she no, on the rowing team. No, um. no Photoshop pictures, a la Lauren Laughlin. No, okay, okay. there was none of that. No, no, she wasn't. I don't know if I'd say lucky enough. She wasn't. Did not have that backing um, of a celebrity parent. She put herself through school, and yeah, it was really poor. I mean, this wasn't like middle class. This was like poor, like not having you know enough to eat sometimes. Richard Nixon was more, I'd say, solidly middle class, but lower, probably lower middle class. But she really, it was pretty dire sometimes. I saw, so. I saw something in the Nixon library, their archive, like their films that like that said that she had uh, just in high school or just had graduated maybe. And she like, she signed up to like drive someone across country uh, yes. from California just to like, as it. <laughs> just for fun, like awesome. an adventure. Yeah, this old couple that sounded like they were kind of a pain in the ass, you know, and just really demanding. And she wanted adventure. She wanted to get out of there to get and, and out. Pat, of and Pat little... shows up and they're expecting a, a, a man and it's Patricia yeah. Nixon. And, and they're like, um, <laughs> excuse me. And she does, you know, she learns how to like change a tire. And, do, and remember driving cross country at that point. Yeah. I mean, it's dirt roads. Like this is not like highways and byways. This is like really seriously rutted, difficult driving. So that was amazing that she did that. She And she had all kinds of odd jobs, like an x-ray technician. She worked at a hospital for tubercular patients. She actually worked, I just uncovered she worked at a bank. Now this was a little before, right out of high school in Artesia, the little town she lived in that's now Cerritos, California. And she was held up at the bank by a, a bank robber at gunpoint. Like crazy stuff. It was like the Wild West. So, I mean, she had had a really, like, it was kind of the Wild West out there at the time where she was. (laughs) And it was a rough upbringing. So it's amazing she put herself through college, but did that by working all the time. Where did did she and um, um, Richard Nixon meet? So they met, this is really funny, in a play. They both were... In Whittier, California, he was a, a kind of a up-and-coming young, young lawyer in Whittier. She was a high school teacher at Whittier High School, and they met doing a play together at the community theater called The Dark Tower. And, you know, for R- Richard Nixon, which is something people don't really know, I mean, he loved theater. He really liked acting. You know, I mean, isn't politics all acting? You know, he's actually was quite well-suited for that. Um, Pat also was an extra in Hollywood because remember, this is, you know, very close to LA where they live in in Whittier. So um, she was in several kind of, you know, Hollywood movies and was even offered sort of a short-term contract, but she found the whole thing so boring. She was like, no, I don't want to do that. And yeah, and just didn't want to deal with the whole Hollywood louche atmosphere. But they both love drama and plays and, and that's how they met. And he was smitten instantly it, it took her a while, a couple of years, um, and she kind of put him off and wanted to be independent. When, you know, when, what story I read that was that was kind of like, just 
well, I don't, I don't know, Matt, you can put a word to it, but like he, he drove her to on dates. Like he oh, took, yeah, her, he took her. <laughs> that's yeah. true. And that's in the movie too. And so. I loved that Oliver yeah. Stone put that in the movie. Now that is correct. I was so impressed. Yeah. There were certain details, small details he got right. And, Oh yeah. And yeah. she was like, she made him work for it. You know, she was like, <laughs> I don't want to get married, but if you want to drive me to dates with other guys in LA, that's cool. So he did it. Oh my God. Most guys would have been like, forget it. But he was intense. Like he, when he wanted Man. something, he went after it like a hundred percent. So she finally, I think just gave up. And I think she did love him. I think she kind of slowly fell in love with him and they they had so much in common in terms of wanting to explore you know to travel they both love to travel they love the theater and drama and music i mean they had a lot in common and they both wanted to get out of whittier and do something bigger than that which they certainly did that's um great little mini story kind of within the broader story um so you mentioned um kind of coming up starting in congress in the 40s um you know i think famously the checkers speech is for nixon um you know kind of potentially was was almost doomed his political career um but she's a part of that yeah it could have and she is a part of that that's actually shown in the film as well um so what are your thoughts on on that I love the checker story. We're keeping the dog, you know, like it's one of the greatest political speeches ever. And, and, you know, it was really, it's really shitty that they made him explain all these finances. I mean, there was nothing, there's no slush fund. And I read later Adlai Stevenson had a big slush fund, you know, they never went after him, but you know, poor Pat, she's so private and nothing is worse than talking about money, you know, particularly that generation, like, so tacky, never, ever, ever. And, you know, money was so important to her, like that kind of, not that she had to have a lot of it, but it was, you know, being respectable, being, you know, sort of solid. And to have that question when they both worked so hard all the time was really upsetting for her. Um, but the line, I think that's always associated with Pat from that is, you know, Pat doesn't wear minks. She has a good <laughs> Republican cloth coat. So, you know, which right. she did, you know, so so he manages to to pull it off and get Eisenhower to have him as the VP. I don't think Ike was too cool or supportive about that whole thing, but that was such, no. you know, I, it was so not cool that he did that in my opinion. But anyway, he kind of th- was going to throw Nixon under the bus, but that checker speech, was, as you know, was such a resounding success. People loved it. And everybody said, keep the dog. Them, yeah. get, get Pat a mink coat too while you're at it, you know? So it, it, it that is a great and I did think Stone did a good job with that. That was pretty accurate the way he had it. I, I think that scene uh, after the loss of the uh, California governorship, mm. um, that's the scene yeah. where in the film she kind of threatens divorce. Right? It was after yeah. that. Yes. And and that and that's probably the longest strip of like Pat centered narrative in the movie. Yes. You know, like. I think you're right. I think that is the most. And of course, it's that's totally false. I mean, we can never know what was said between them, but I have never seen any reporting and I have read extensively. I just, and also just knowing Pat's character and how she was, I mean, divorce was not, not an option. I mean, remember the time period that would have been so public 
such a scandal. Like even if she had wanted to do that, I don't think it ever would have happened, but that was not in her nature. She was not a quitter. You know, yeah. they would always both say, well, Nixon's not a quitter. And she was the same way. I think they were well-matched. I mean, that's just completely out of character. And if, if Stone had really looked into Pat Nixon, that she never would have said that. I just don't believe it. Well, it's and they bring that up um, in the film again when he decides to run for the election in 68. And I guess he never told her that. And uh, she's kind of packing her bags and everything. Um, and they actually yeah. wrapped that up quite way too easily, I thought. Because <laughs> if oh, she yeah. actually were... I'm I'm leaving. I'm out of here. And he's like, "Well, please." And then she changes. Yeah, just okay, just fine. immediately yeah. flips. Like, we're gonna yeah. do it together. You know, like yeah. yeah. This, 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 I thought that was ridiculous. a little too easy, but <laughs> but it's that same sort of idea that she was kind of had one foot almost out the door due to his political uh, interests and never. So, so they set up in the in the film is kind of uh, sort of maybe a potential pivotal moment in the lives of. Uh, uh, Nixon and Pat Nixon um, is mm-hmm. after the loss, this is supposed to be his kind of big comeback campaign running for governor of California in 1962 and he loses. Um, mm. It's a very dramatic scene afterward filled with, of course, uh, lots of alcohol by uh, <laughs> Richard and Pat. Um, you want to talk about that scene um, and, and how, what what's real, what's not? Sure. Well, Yeah, I mean, I think it was very disappointing. You know, she did not want him to make that run for governor. I mean, she was always like, haven't haven't we had enough of this? Can't we have a private life, you know? And she was really, her happiest times were in between campaigns when she was either in California at home after they lost the 1960 election and then after he loses for governor of California, they moved to New York. And that's probably her happiest time is 63 to, to 68 when she's a private citizen. And that is something that I think Stone does get correct in that she wants, that's what she wants. She wants a home and family and she wants her life to be private. But unfortunately for Pat, she's married someone whose ambition is never going to allow him to stay out of the race. Um, now that scene, as you know, I think we both agree, Matt, it, it's too easily resolved. I mean, she's kind of on her way out the door there. And then he's like, Oh, please stay buddy. And by the way, he didn't, you know, buddy, it's just gets annoying. Like he didn't call her buddy all the time. I think that was pretty rare. Like he did <laughs> call her that for a while, but I'm like, Oh my God, Anthony Hopkins, stop. It's just so annoying. And so he called, he called, he called her mother, right? Is what he actually called her. Well, it's, you know, he did call her that once in a while, but not like Mike Pence. No, not like that. Okay. And he did not require another woman to be in the room all okay. the time when he said that. Occasionally, yes, but usually it was Pat. I mean, he did have a number of nicknames for her, but this guy. buddy, yeah, compared to Pence, yes, I would say maybe quite it was he was he was on the cusp of the sort of non gender. He was just like, hey, putty pal, you know, he didn't want right. to. Yeah, ginger fluidity, maybe, you know, but yeah, I mean, he's, I do, I have to give Nixon credit. I mean, he's looking pretty good right now, particularly, you know, it's like, we can talk about the 60 election versus now and recounts maybe another time, but I will say Nixon did the right thing. You know, he, he said, I'm not going to put the country through this. We're not going to have a recount. 
that's not happening right now. But anyway, we I, I'm digressing. Yeah. So you, you don't have to answer this, Heath. But do, don't you deserve? Do you think we deserve a better class of criminal? Agreed. Like, <laughs> I mean, okay, yeah. <laughs> I, don't even get me started about the current administration. That will not go well. I, I have to maintain some kind of historian. You know, you two also, <laughs> right? We have to be objective. So. See, that's why I work in the 18th Both century. Sides. Both they're, sides. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. they're all dead. All my people are just gone. You um, know, most, most biographers say better off dead, you know, because the dead people can't argue with you, which yeah. is always a good thing. But, but I will say, I mean, seriously, Nixon... <laughs> was very noble in that JFK. It, it was a very close election. And I dare say Joe Kennedy did some ballot stuffing and some bribing. So that election, and he walked away. He said, you know what? It's better for this country to have this resolved and not let the American people hang in the balance. Word for the wise. Maybe now people should listen to that. But but I mean, he did the right thing there. So that that's my two cents on on that election and now. But with Pat, back to the scene, like that one, the buddy thing is annoying and should not should not ever be overused. That was only used very in, in sparingly. His, in his love notes, he doesn't say buddy on the. Side no, of the oh God, no. I mean, he does use that occasionally, but not. I mean, like with Anthony Hopkins, it's every five minutes. It's like Rain Man. I mean, I'm not yeah. into this buddy thing. It's, all, it's almost stop. like, you know, when you when you go to like the, you know, go down to like the seaside and there's a cartoonist that does, picks one feature of and, and blows it a caricature. It's like, it's like this buddy thing. They yes. like latched onto this, like, and just exploded <laughs> into this major. Exactly. Right. Like a defining characteristic. And that was that. No, that was not. And. Yeah, it's. I think it's again. It's Stone trying to show he sort of did his homework, but he he really did not do his homework because that that I mean that is a nickname that was used, but so unimportant compared to the other things going on. And and this idea that all he has to say is say buddy ten times, and she's going to do whatever he wants. I mean, and it's resolved in like five minutes. No, I mean that it, compression and conflation of what happened. I mean, she reluctant very reluctantly every time except right in the early days did not want him to run again and no amount of calling her buddy was going to change that so the movie the movie alleges that she was just she was we're getting a divorce you can run like do do we have any evidence of that no there's zero zero evidence and you know that was not something a woman of pat's time without very serious consideration would have ever suggested again divorce was just that, yeah, that was felt, not that felt super anachronistic especially that age and that stage and that station oh. of like just not not possible not happening not no you're right Matt that was just not that is anachronistic is a great word for it that is not what was happening if this were you know the 70s and a certain you know different different time different place different person maybe but Pat Nixon was not would never have given up that quickly, that easily, nor would her husband. That is something that really drew them together, I think, is neither were quitters. I mean, they talked a lot about that. They don't like Pat Nixon was like, I never cancel ever, ever, ever. And that that was true with her marriage, too. She was not one to give up. I thought that was so off base. Um, So that was a projection of, I think, what Stone wished she had said, not what she ever actually would have said. So I 
definitely called BS on that one. Wrong. Yeah, that's it's interesting because we can we see the 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 idea that she is ready for divorce um, right after the loss in '62, and then in '68 when he says, "I'm running for president." Oops, I forgot to tell my wife. Um, and she's <laughs> packing her stuff like she's ready to leave. Yeah. Um, she decides within 15 yeah. or 20 seconds, okay, maybe I won't go. But then, just yeah. like you were saying, if she was all in and ready to do it, her her tone switches on. And then she's like, yes, we're going to do it, Dick, and we're going to win this time. You know, paraphrasing what she says in the film. But um, mm. then she's all gung-ho, like, all right, let's do it and let's win. Um, yeah. So uh -uh. It's, it's a very, I mean, in the film, it seemed way too easily yeah, we just like done, like, but, like stone you, way too you're, you're spending four hours making this movie you know and and you don't have more than five seconds to do a complete 180 you know emotional shift from, from like, right. i'm packing to my bags like i'm the happiest gal in the world like, come right. on come on i completely agree it's just giving such short shrift to her story too which you know, I, I she's will not say... A, she's not a pushover. That's like what, like, no. you know, like at all. No. And, and that is, is she is not a pushover. She does is a reluctant, you know, participant in these election, in these campaigns and then in that life. But once she does it, once she commits, she is 100% committed. She is not a quitter. She's not going to divorce him. And she's, she's going to, she always wants to do what will make him happy. She wants to make him successful. So um, the Joan Allen character, I think comes across as very petulant a lot of the time. And that is not at all what Pat's demeanor or her way of doing things was. It was once we decide we are a team, we are going to do this. Um, I think that changes a little bit in the last couple of years and maybe even 68 on with Haldeman and Ehrlichman when they enter the picture and they're in this movie. And of course, James Woods plays Haldeman, which I, I liked that casting. I thought, and you all, I hope yeah. we'll talk about That's that. That's the least some... amount of uh, acting he's probably ever had to do. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That was very close to home for him. I think yeah. so. <laughs> he seemed quite natural in that. Yeah. <laughs> But what was not accurate, something else, just jumping ahead, something that Oliver said, this is like the biggest thing he got wrong, other than the idea that Pat would threaten to divorce Nixon. That might be number one. Number two is Haldeman. Haldeman and Pat hated each other, loathed each other. It was really? a battle. Oh, my God. They absolutely hated each other. Now, Mrs. Nixon would probably never use that word. I hated someone. I, mean, I, can, I can think of a lot of reasons for Haldeman. What were what 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 were her main ones? Well, her main ones, of course. Yeah, Haldeman. God, don't even get me started on that. But a, a big part of the book will be the battles between the East Wing and the West Wing. Um, the West Wing was always trying to control Pat and her stuff because Haldeman was a complete control freak. And this movie has them basically like they're both buddies on the same team. At one point, Pat chastises um, Dick Nixon for shutting Haldeman out. I'm like, oh, no, she would have probably not been cheering and gloating, but secretly very pleased, you know, about that. So I'm like, no, you didn't do your homework at all. I mean, they absolutely loathed each other and Ehrlichman the same. And he's not even dealt with in, in Pat's context. So. That's a big thing he gets really, really, really wrong in this. Uh, they were 
never friends. And uh, Haldeman starts basically isolates Pat and the girls from President Nixon, you know, starting. I mean, he's his advance man for campaigns in 1956 on. But I don't think the full extent of his influence really seeps into about 1960 and 1960 on, that's when Ehrlichman comes on board, they really deliberately shut Pat out and say she is a liability, she needs to be minimized, et cetera, which will all be talked about in depth in my book with lots and lots of documentation. So that was a big miss on Stone's part to think they liked each other or would have ever really, They, I mean, they reluctantly worked together, so they were on the same team, but there is no love lost there at all. Um, one interesting part uh, in the film, um, following following the the students uh, being being shot at Kent State, um, they have the scene where Pat mm. comes out wearing the uh, green jacket that said on the back, "I don't care." Uh, do you? Why do you? Uh, on the back. Now, did you, was that mm. accurate? Um, now that you know, I missed that. I don't know how I missed that part. I did oh, not wait, see wait. that. Part. I might be getting something confused, <laughs> Matt. Here. Um, um yeah i don't think i saw that one <laughs> i'll say no comment on that one okay okay um the the wedding in the film um mm -hmm. there uh what does that mean that they, they you know it sort of is kind of a backdrop for uh talking about the pentagon papers um and then mm -hmm. complaining about yes. you know, protesters and whatnot and the wedding is sort of the scene that's sort of happening in the background um, but I, yep. you know, a wedding, I imagine it was uh, quite a big deal to, to the family. Um, oh, yeah. What do you know about the, the significance of the White House wedding um, to, to Pat and to, and to the family kind of as, as large? Oh, yes. Well, and I, those photos are so iconic. You know, it, it was the first wedding I think they had ever had in the Rose Garden. There was a lot of drama because of the weather, I mean, it was kind of like the typical American wedding with everybody flipping out because of the weather. Will it be in? Will it be out? And, you know, the sun comes out and eventually they are able to have it in the Rose Garden. Um, There's also a lot of flap about the press because um, who was the press? I'm trying to remember. It was uh, one of the ladies from the Washington Post, and I'll have to look it up. I think it might have been Miss Manners, Judith, um, gosh, now I'm forgetting her name. I'll have to look it up and get back to you. But one of the, a famous uh, female columnist for the Washington Post was uh, not allowed in because she had crashed Julie's wedding and upset everybody. And so, you know, Mrs. Nixon said, no, we do not feel comfortable with her coming in. I, I keep wanting to say Judith Martin, but I'm not sure if that's right. But it was one of the ladies that worked for the Post. And the president never really did like the Washington Post, as I think we all know. So mm -hmm. certain people were allowed in, certain people were not. Um, but overall, I think the wedding went off beautifully. And this is a time when you see, this is a, probably one of the few times where you really see like some affection between the president and Mrs. Yeah, he says Nixon. He's the happiest he's ever been. Yes, she looks so happy. I think that's totally legitimate. And again, I think it's, remember, they're from a different generation, you know, and TV has just happened within, you know, their time sort of in the spotlight. Neither of them are ever very comfortable with that. So they come across a lot of the time like 
that they they seem to not be affectionate, but they I think they really did love each other. But I think it was a very traditional marriage and it was a total no PDA marriage. You know, that's the closest you're going to probably see to them being affectionate. Um, so that that just they she's were not, of a different. She's generation. not slapping his hand away as he's walking down. Uh, well, uh, yeah, not that. I think she looks quite affectionate compared to that. That is a whole different ball game. So, yeah, it's so hard not to compare. Uh, so. Oh, it's there, so hard not there to is a scene know. where um, she in the film when she tries to get a little bit uh, extra affectionate with him, and he um, oh, says, yes. oh, "No, no, I don't, I don't need that. I'm not, I'm not Jack Kennedy." Okay, um, yeah, that was let's... a diss. Wow. Yeah, I thought I felt bad for it. I was like, oh. Yeah. And again, who know, I mean, you know, that's when I just, who can speculate? I don't know. That sounds like an Oliver Stone wishful thinking kind of thing, but I can't comment on that one. That one I'm going to stay away from. What, yeah. um, any, um, any revelations about, um, I mean, it's not like, what did she know and when did she know it? But like the, mm-hmm. her, her mental universe as, as some major um, sort of from you know, 70 on as, as sort of major dominoes were following in, right. in, uh, in, in his, what was, what was that like for her? Oh yeah. Oh, I think it was horrible. Absolutely awful. Um, yeah. She, as I talked a little earlier about Haldeman and Ehrlichman, you know, they're known as the Germans between them, they construct this, the Berlin Wall, as people call it, where they, in one of my theories, and again, I'm about a year into the research, things could change, but they, it seems that they very deliberately isolate the president from Mrs. Nixon, from the girls, also from his older White House staff, mm-hmm. Rosemary Woods, who is his longtime secretary. I mean, they do this in various ways, but mm-hmm. they really isolate them from him and and you know the bot they call him the boss and so the boss's time is very tightly controlled i like to think of them as kind of snapping german shepherd you know guard dogs outside the oval office kind of keeping people away and that includes pat and rosemary woods and the girls and so i don't think pat or the girls had any idea about the extent of what was going on i think it was a it was very much like behind the curtain this is going on and then mrs nixon also had you know pretty traditional ideas about you know and and i agree with her somewhat i mean she is not the elected official this is not her job to be doing this um however down the road when she learns about the tapes she advises him to destroy them which you know i think boy i i sure would have wanted to do that, whether that was the right or the wrong thing. I, I completely understand why she felt that way. So she's, she's very, you know, vocal about that advice. He chooses not to take it and the rest is history. So that's and going on. I do, in the film. Yeah, she does have that in there. And that is correct. That part is absolutely right. She felt very strongly about that. Um, I do know that she and Julie walked constantly her coping method was exercise and so and she got very thin too during this time but walked on roosevelt island this little island you know kind of in dc like that they used to go and walk with the secret service like she would walk all the time they would also walk very late at night in the empty streets of dc downtown which were really bad news at the time but of course they had 
a secret service detail so they could do that but they would do it at night when the press was not out and that you know that was one big way that that she coped with it and she also stayed busy 24 7 she had the most exhausting schedule literally right up until uh they he resigned she was keeping all her appointments just business as usual um but i i don't think she had any idea of, of the extent of, of what was going on, the ins and the outs of all that. Um, and I think that was deliberate that she was sh- either shut out or shielded from it, depending on your point of view. How have historians um, gotten right or wrong her, her views on um, sort of the, the, the women's movement in the seventies, especially? Well, you know, Pat, again, not being the elected official, um, but, you know, like a lot of first ladies was very, that many of them are like that. You know, uh, Laura Bush is one I can think of, you know, others that have very different views than their husband on certain certain parts of policy. And she was always pro-women, but was not a feminist, you know, a big, big difference in terms of it, kind of more the semantics of it. I mean, I think she thought a woman could do anything she wanted to do. And of course, she had been a career woman for years. She had worked since she was 13 years old. I mean, she had done all of that. So she didn't have any problem with women working or having a career or being a housewife. It was up to you. That was your choice. So she had that. She, again, was pro-ERA, pro-women on the Supreme Court and pro-choice. She did not think abortion was something that should be on demand, but she was definitely supportive of it um, in a lot of circumstances when it was needed. So that was pretty radical for the time. Now, Betty Ford would come behind her and be very strident about being pro-ERA particularly, but Pat was sort of quietly in her, you know, very, very manicured, very, you know, elegant way she said what she thought but she said it softly you know she didn't use a megaphone to get that out there but it was public so like there's that you i'm sure you've seen there's is it true that this is gloria steinem interview quote where she's like when she's asking her about the women's movement and pat says like Mm. i didn't have time to think about that you know i'm I was yes. dream about who I wanted to be. I was working my ass off. Like, Oh yes. And I love that, <laughs> that you brought that up, Eric. Cause that, that is like, you know, I think that's probably one of the most revealing interviews about Pat Nixon because she breaks, you know, the, the demeanor. And again, the demeanor that I think the press pasted on her, that plastic Pat, that's something Candy Stroud from women's wear daily came up with that. She was sort of like a Stepford wife robot which is the opposite of how Mrs. Nixon was. But Gloria managed to do something that a lot of other people couldn't, which was kind of break through that armor a little bit. And I think she was like, I've had it with this girls. Like I have done it all. I am pro women. I've lived it. You know, I've been able to do all this, but I don't, she did not like labels. She did not remember in the seventies. And I had to learn this kind of the hard way with my last book. Feminism was associated with communism and the left. I mean, it was the radical fringe at the time. So even if she secretly was a feminist, she never would have used those words. Yeah. I mean, that would not be down with with that conservative Republican silent majority, you know, that Nixon is is sort of addressing. So but I think she was pro-women, just like the prisoner of war wives and military wives were in my last book. They are 
super pro women. A woman can do anything she sets her mind to do, but we don't like that particular label of feminist. And Gloria, I liked exactly how you said it, Eric. Is that's exactly right. I have worked my ass off for so long. I didn't have time to dream about who my role models are. Like that had never crossed her mind. And I've asked a lot of people around Mrs. Nixon who her first lady role model was. And they've all said, we're not really sure she had one. You know, it was sort of of her own making. She didn't really have time to think about things like that. So I, I did think the Steinem interview was was quite revealing in that way. Well, and then, you know, the the it's weird that like, you know, I guess not to, I'm not going after Jackie O, but I'm saying that she's, mm-hmm. she's revered in this way, but you know, like you about for what she's wearing and what, not that she yes. wanted, wasn't a woman of substance, but Pat is trying to do things. And it, it's an interesting, mm-hmm. like it's a mm-hmm. counterfactual. Like if you take away Richard Nixon from the, the, her getting swept away in that deluge, like what would we think about Pat? Right. I, I think that's a, actually the Jackie. I, I really like to read around people I'm writing about. So I've been reading, you know, I always have read about Jackie more for her clothes than anything else, frankly. But, you know, then there's Betty Ford and being so out there, you know, being an alcoholic and having, you know, drug issues and the rehab and all that. And then you have Pat in the middle. He's like doing everything right, working herself to the bone. And by the way, she's the one that did the bulk of the White House um, decoration and acquisition of antiques. Jackie gets credit for that always, but Pat did two thirds of that. So Pat is the working girl. You know, Jackie's like, you know, kind of sitting around and going to Middleburg and riding horses and like, and she did some wonderful things, uh, um, you know, but she wasn't on the campaign trail with Jack all the time. Pat was with Nixon all the time. She was working herself to the bone as second lady, as first lady, as a congresswoman's wife. I mean, this was her job. So that's that contrast, I think, is very interesting. And not again, not to diminish either of those other first ladies. But um, I think, you know, Jackie had a lot of style, but I think Pat had a lot more substance. And then Betty Ford was like the opposite of Pat Nixon. I mean, super public and Pat was so private. So there were interesting contrasts on both both ends, I think. Was she the first to use astrologers or was that uh, Nancy? Oh, you know, I <laughs> probably, I would not be surprised if Betty Ford used an astrologer Good one day. I bet that she did. Oh my gosh. I, yeah, I just read a biography about her and I was like, whoa, that was, yeah, she was about as opposite from Pat Nixon as you can get. By the way, they were dear friends, which I thought was really interesting. Um, they knew the Ford, the Nixons uh, knew the Fords lived in the same D.C. Uh, development, or actually, I think it was in Alexandria originally, like in the fifties. They had always been good friends and so different. So I think Pat had that ability to be friends with a wide range of people that weren't always, you know, just like her. That's really, really great, really, and really fascinating and, and kind of you know looking back and, and thinking about this um uh kind of the role of feminism and maybe it's kind of understated role with somebody like pat um mm-hmm. equal rights amendment and it's just interesting to see you know how it, you know they're 
you know, within a within a cat's whisker of passing that thing uh, by the end mm. of the seventies, and um, oh, it just boy. shows how dramatically the country shifted from kind of the liberal consensus um, to the you know ascendant conservative consensus within such a short period of right, time. Right, where the, um, where the first lady yes. could be pro ERA. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Not right. anymore. Yeah. Not anymore. And, you know, Phyllis Shafley, of course, I don't know if you all are familiar oh, yeah. with Phyllis and the Eagle Forum. I'm sure you are. But yeah, mm-hmm. I, I've been looking for references on because Pat did cross paths with her at some point. And, you know, it, it's it's so disappointing what happens, as we all know, with the ERA, and then Phyllis kind of beats it down through the Eagle Forum, never to pass. And, you know, Pat Nixon, again, you know, really supported that. Betty Ford really supported that. And then on to other um, first ladies, but it just completely shut down. So another good, since we're talking movies, although this is a limited series, Mrs. America, where Kate Blanchett played Phyllis Shafley. I don't know if you guys have seen that, but whoa, awesome. Like she nailed the Phyllis character. It was just, I mean, scary, like really, really, really good. I think it's Fox. It's a, it was a limited series with Fox, through Fox. And um, it had Gloria Steinem, you know, Phyllis Shafley, Bella Asbub, Shirley Chisholm, and that, the ERA and how ascendant, you know, it's almost there, almost there. And then Phyllis yeah. comes in and just shuts that down. It's just right. so disappointing. Here I'm airing my own political views. I find that's well, so disappointing. No, it's interesting because it's still sort of topical because with just within the past few years, Virginia mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. Illinois have both passed yep. the, uh, and I, so I think they're at 37 states now. So I think they just need one yes. more. Actually. Yes, um, but will they extend? You know, of course, we've passed that right. time frame then it so gets, many times. Then it gets lawyery, so we'll see. Oh, um, well, thank God my home state finally, a little late, Virginia, but thank God we finally got, you know, did that. But yeah. And, and yeah, ours, too. <laughs> so. Yes, that's right. That's right. Well, thank goodness for that. But uh, But anyway, a little digression. But yes, I mean, for Pat to even support that, softly in her diplomatic way at that time that early that's pretty amazing it's actually pretty radical in in its own way yeah and coming you know the wife of at the time he is sort of seen as you know not as conservative as somebody like goldwater but he is sort of seen as somebody right really conservative yet Mm -hmm. uh you know he proposed a guaranteed living wage and things like that that like bernie sanders is proposing nowadays so um right it's, it's just so interesting how how the perception of what is liberal and what is conservative has shifted uh, in the past 40 years. Oh my gosh. Well, what about the EPA? You know, that's Nixon. Nixon established the EPA. He was a huge supporter of Native American rights, Um, had a lot of women in in high-ranking positions in the government and more than anybody had before. But all of this is swept away with Watergate, which, you know, I don't know. With scandals we've got going on now, it's kind of putting things in perspective. I mean, Watergate is not great, but wow. Now, I just think on both sides, we've got much bigger fish we're (laughs) frying in that department. So I'm like, hmm, well, I'm not so sure about this. So, But it does all start with that. I mean, I think that's when people realize that, you know, the curtain is pulled back a bit and, and you can see some of these inner workings. Now we're just all so jaded. We don't even notice these things. So very interesting to look back at it now. 
definitely. And thank you for going out on that limb in support of the firebombing of the Brookings Institute. Um, and I'm glad we have that on tape. <laughs> you are bad. <laughs> this is, yeah, this is a, this is where the gotcha journalism uh, takes a turn. <laughs> uh, well, we we've taken we've taken a lot of your time. Is there are there any? Uh, this is the longest uh, phone call, yeah, ever. Yeah. Uh, on a, yeah. <laughs> oh no, I had to call in and like, how could I let this opportunity know, right? pass by? I mean, I get to be a repeat customer, so definitely want to support you guys and um love the movies that you're talking about i i want to hear i would like to hear just from you in general about this is a little more about oliver stone but i mean what do you think about the movie in general do you have a favorable review are you gonna take it apart like other than pat i you know just a little little bit of your insight or a little preview about what other things you might well eric should we should we do our should we go there yeah, yeah. This is this is this is this is exactly um, we're trying to take you down the primrose path. Um, you yeah. you know from our podcast we like to rate our uh, movies and um, the 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 Vietnamese currency, of course, is the dong, and we um, mm-hmm. like to give it a dong rating um, oh, nice. uh, out of out of ten, ten being the highest. So, um, okay. Matt, you want to go first? How many dong are you going to give the uh, Nick? <laughs> Oliver Stone's Nixon. Well, how am I, how many dong am I going to give Oliver Stone? Um, that is, <laughs> there are, there are things that I like. There are things that uh, are just sort of crazy. It's a little weird not to, not to delay too long, but stuff with Nixon is you see it in the film, the thing like driving around Pat, for example, uh, on her dates, mm-hmm. if you didn't oh, yeah. know that that mm-hmm. was true, you would think that that was crazy, right? Um, or like praying in tears while he's totally wasted, uh, with Kissinger in front of a roaring fireplace. Uh, Um, if you didn't know that was true, you might think that that was like (laughs) totally out there. Um, so with Nixon, it's, it's this, there's this sort of, uh, there's always this sort of oddness associated with him. And that's one of the reasons he's such a fascinating character. Um, and mm-hmm. so Stone, I think, leans on that. So I think he can lean in on the, well, this is sort of wacky. Maybe it's, maybe it's not all the, all there, but let's, let's just lean into it because it's a movie, right? Um, mm-hmm. now I've given my long speech while I've tried to think of, of my rating here. I'm going to go <laughs> with, uh, I, I I'm going to go six, five, six point five. I think, um, Hop, um, I think Hopkins does, um, a nice I don't think he really looks like Nixon but I think he's got no. a lot of the mannerisms down the mm-hmm. um I, you know the little things like the sweaty uh, upper lip um and yeah. um that's right on yeah the cast is is generally really good we already mentioned uh James Woods he does a nice job uh oh yeah he's good Hoover is at his sort of maniacal best uh in the film you know <laughs> so the i think the acting is is generally pretty good um mm-hmm. the story is a little gets a little out yeah. there and sort of conspiratorial um yeah. i'll go 6.5 we'll, we'll let we'll let you go last Heath. so I'll, I'll say that i i um we'll go good news first i think that uh a lot of films on nixon sort of would would exclusively focus on on watergate right like that's the that's mm-hmm. the that's the money shot like you're gonna go after the yes the, the big and i and i think the some of the ambition of this film is to try to give a context for um for nixon his as a sort of a in in the red scare in his sort of 
very hard scrabble sort of um, religious yeah. upbringing, um, right? And so I think I think some of the um, more than more than most films, it tries to um, give a give an arc uh, that ends in mm-hmm. um, that that ends ends where it where it does and paint a more complicated picture. Um, so that gives it some that gives it some 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 up dong some down is that um, it, uh, <laughs> up <dong> like that <laughs> is is that uh, the dong is raised. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I see I you and that. I raise you. Um, I raise you. The the you know it, it's some of this is with sort of Oliver stuff. Like I I I both I have a real mixed love hate with some of the kind of the the. Things that things that, that that things that impressed. I'll put it this way: things that would have impressed like a teenage Eric Jones are uh-huh. sort of more whoa, like revelate. You know, kind of this like whoa, he just dropped the mic on that thing. It, it's it's a little, uh, it's a little sort of ham fisted and a little too sort of um, the the believability and and uh, is 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 strained and. Um, I, I think the uh, I, I liked uh, the I thought the Kissinger was pretty was a pretty was a pretty good oh, Kissinger yeah. good uh, in this. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna give it I'm gonna give it uh, I'm gonna give it seven dong. Um, hmm. If if I can cut if I don't have to watch the director's cut, which is <laughs> even <laughs> yeah, longer. <laughs> I think you missed a, a, a half hour scene with uh, Helm CIA director is like one part of the director's cut, which I think is not in the one you watched. Oh. Maybe, but okay, uh, that uh. is a weird scene. Let me say. <laughs> All right, Keith, <laughs> you're up. <laughs> oh man. Okay. Well, one part we, you know, Eric's mentioning a little bit of this, and I agree. You know, he really fleshed out those early years where, again, Pat is like very poor. The Nixons were like lower middle class, but he also gave a lot of props to Hannah to, you know, the Quaker mother, not way too much of the D and the Val stuff, which it yes, was that, weird, was, that was a weird. I mean, that was so wasn't that weird? It yeah. just was weird. And I was like, that word blessed just, Richard for yeah, Vinehast um, transgressed I, that, against the, mm. yeah, that was a little too much for me. I mean, yes, he grew up in a Quaker family, but, keep in mind he and pat i thought it was interesting neither one of them were really religious you know they really we talked a little bit about pat's mother dying you know she was a christian scientist dying from lack of treatment and then you know know this quaker background of nixon's he throws that right out requests to be in a combat zone during world war ii so I i don't think in either case either of them were particularly driven by religion and and while i thought i liked that stone gave hannah a lot of credit for being influential on on her son and i think that was true i do not think the religious influence was nearly as strong as as he was suggesting and it was way too dramatic but all the stuff about the brothers and you know dying of tuberculosis that was all true and i liked that i really liked the scene of course with Nixon driving Pat again, true, but like, like Matt loved the Kissinger scene praying, you know, which was true <laughs> that did happen. And I, you know, have interviewed Dr. Kissinger and I just can imagine how horrifying that probably was for him. Oh. I just can't even imagine. I mean, it was upsetting for me to, for just to watch. It was very cringeworthy, I think. So, um, but Paul Sorvino, who played Kissinger, I thought was excellent. Like, 
his oh, yeah. accent was right on. I mean, I was yeah. like, wow, that's really, really good. So, you know, he did a lot of things right. Stone did a lot of things right in this, but but I think he, you know, he kind of halfway follows through on his research, but not fully. And I, I give him more marks than like Frost Nixon. He did include Pat a lot more, and Joan Allen is a phenomenal actress, but it still wasn't quite right. You know, he he got a little bit, but he didn't really get the full picture. So I think I'm going to kind of go in between you guys and go with a six um, out of 10 on, on our Vietnamese currency. So that would be my, my mark for it. Great. Well, you, you heard it here. Um, yeah. And, uh, and uh, so for our, for our listeners go out and get uh, league of wives, the untold story of the women who took on the U S government and to bring their husbands home by Heath Hartage Lee. Um, that's a 10 dong rating book yes. right there. 11. Oh, thank you. Oh, awesome. <laughs> thank you guys. I really appreciate that. I'm not sure the Vietnamese will agree with you on that actually, but depends what generation right. you're from. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, we'll you. you're, you're always, you're always welcome and we'll have you back again. And uh, uh, thanks so much. And good luck. Thank you. Really thank enjoyed you. it. Behave yourselves. That might be hard. We... <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, you know, you got to you know, you go to a meeting, Heath, so we'll let you run. All right. Well, y'all have a, a good day and let, let's do this again. We'll yeah, find for sure. Movie. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll run some movies past you if you want to join us for the regular one. It'd be funny. I would love it. Okay. All right, guys. See ya. Take care. Okay. Thanks. Yeah, bye. 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 I love the smell of great pump in the morning. I'll bet you could suck a golf ball through a garden hose. Good morning, Vietnam! You let me worry about that green beret. Napalm in the morning. Your first, last, and only podcast for the Vietnam War through film.